That was a clip from the Mozart Clarinet Concerto, and I'm delighted to be joined for today's podcast by Julian Bliss. How's it going? Thanks for coming in. Anytime. Julian, you appeared late last year at the Classic FM Live in uh, London's Royal Albert Hall. Um, it must have been quite a memorable experience. Uh, what sort of things went on while you were there? Um, lots went on, actually. It was a, an interesting day. Nice to be back in Royal Albert Hall. It's always uh, a great venue to play in. I think it's one of those that is has that atmosphere um, mm. that you can't capture anywhere else. Um, you know, just walking out on stage, even for the rehearsal, has that buzz about it. Um, yeah, did uh, some few interviews in the in the afternoon. Uh, had a bit of a wander around. It was it was a bit different. Just playing two very short pieces. You know, I played the Flight of the Bumblebee, which normally hopefully is under a minute. Um, Absolutely. And then uh, Monty Chardash, and it was all over before I even realised. Like, sure. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Um, no, but it was nice. Really nice crowd, and um, it's nice to play for. I guess what what could be called a slightly different audience. Um, then you get your very hardcore classical concert. So sure. it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, really enjoyed the evening and uh, it's a nice party afterwards as well. I bet. And I understand you have your own range of clarinets as well now, which you're promoting with uh, Con Selma. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how, about how that came around? Well, it's about uh, almost 10 years ago now I started working with Con Selma, which actually is a part of Steinway Musical Instruments. Big, They're the parent company. Con Selma is the... Um, and the company underneath that, and they manufacture or own many, many different companies, one of which is LeBlanc Clarinets. Oh, I see. Um, LeBlanc obviously used to be a French company, and I believe in the early 2000s was bought by Conselma, and uh, everything was moved to the USA. And uh, as I say, about 10 years ago, I started playing on their instruments and met everyone there and started to really get along with everyone. And soon after, we started a bit of a working relationship and... Then the idea came up of making an affordable instrument that was um, a professional quality, mm. um, something that was made to the highest standards, played, you know, every instrument came out of the box playing pretty much the same, yeah. um, using the best materials, attention to detail. Because you, you can spend thousands and thousands on instruments. Um, you know, clarinets aren't quite as expensive as Stradivarius violins, but uh, sure. for young players starting out it can be quite difficult to find something that, that is a good quality um, a professional uh, style instrument, professional grade, I should say. Sure, something between um, what a professional would have and what a beginner would have that's of a good quality. Yeah, there's a, there's a massive gap. I mean, you can go on, on uh, online these days and you can buy yourself a brand new clarinet for 15 quid or something. Mm. I mean, please don't do it. Okay. Um, Sometimes they're not even good enough to be turned into lamps, you know. Right. And and often we give these instruments to young kids or, or young people and expect them to learn that instrument on something that if you gave to a professional, they, they couldn't make work. And I've never really understood that. So we decided to do something about it. Um, what we ended up creating was not necessarily an instrument for students, but an instrument that could be you know, for anyone, really. Anyone that wants a professional quality um, yet affordable instrument. Um, yeah, they're, they're great. I, I do quite a lot of my concerts on them. I got them in different uh, iterations, different platings and colours and all sorts. Well, so. I did notice on Twitter the other day that uh, there's a 24 carat gold plated oh, clarinet yes. that you're playing at the moment. Yeah, that is a LeBlanc Legacy, which was um, used to be one of their pro instruments. And I've mm. had it for a few years. And I was in the factory. I, I mean, I know everyone there so well and they're so friendly and so willing to help. It's I, I could never imagine uh, having it how it is. And um, 
they're the only people that I'll let really touch my instruments now. Um, you know, where better to send it than the people that the actually people made, made it. it? Sure. So we were talking about plating options and you know the different levels of plating, and obviously twenty-four karat gold is the best. And I thought, well, why not? Eh? Do you think you can hear the bling? I don't know. Um, it's it's hard to say um, because. In theory, different plating should change the sound slightly. You know, all silver plated instruments should sound different to gold because of the, um, the densities of the metals. Whether that actually uh, works in practice is is almost impossible to say. But mm. I do feel it's a little bit darker sounding now than it was um, was before. But I've never played an instrument quite like it. The the attention to detail, the amount of hours they spent doing it. I mean, I, I can't thank them enough. Really, it's uh, yeah, beautiful, brilliant. Which instrument did you start off on when you were learning? I started on a, a clarinet made by a company called Lions. Uh, it's called Lions C Clarinet and um, completely plastic. Even the keys were made out of plastic. Totally plastic. Completely <laughs> plastic. And the pads were made from rubber. Mm. I mean, it sounds like um, quite an interesting instrument, but it was, uh, oh, it was great. The best part about it was that it was virtually indestructible. I was going to say, it sounds like something that could be dropped and then picked up and uh, used again quite easily. So I'm told. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for young people, it, you're not maybe as careful as you should be once in a while. Sure. Um, but uh, no, it's a great instrument. But what made me first think about the, the gap between the student and professional instruments um, was was then you know after that i moved straight onto a pro instrument and mm. nothing really to fill that gap but i've actually still got that instrument and oh fantastic maybe i'll get it out one day i think everyone would be interested to hear it certainly yeah. one of the pictures we saw of you late last year in a magazine i think was uh, you riding a rather large motorbike in full concert gear motoring seems to be quite a passion of yours um it's getting a bit top gear but uh what car are you driving at the moment out of curiosity um, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a, I'm a self-obsessed uh, petrol head, mm. and um, I do like my cars. Um, at the moment, I've got a Jaguar XFS, which is lovely. Mm. Um, it's for a lot of concerts. I have to drive sometimes the length of the country, and um, it's nice. I can get in, and it's quiet and comfortable. Really amazing sound system, and um, yeah, it's it's a really comfortable car. Before that, I had a, a Noble M12, which was, um, I guess, what you could call a race car for the road. Um, I do a lot of track days all throughout the year, in yeah. it and but I thought you know maybe time it was time to be sensible for a year or two. A year or two, yes. Um, it won't last long. No, we heard a clip at the start of the podcast from your Mozart recording uh, from last autumn. Have you got any more recording plans or releases for this year? Well, recording plans. Uh, there's always various things. I I kind of feel feel sorry for you guys here because I'm always coming in and say, oh, I want to record this, I want to do this, what you know. And it's That's even fine. for myself having to come in and, and trying to organise everything um, and decide who you're going to do what with. The Mozart and Nielsen was a big one for me, um, given that that is the most uh, well-known piece for clarinets. And sure. I've never recorded it before, so it was a, oh, right. a, a big moment. And um, we all decided to do it live. Um, some people thought I was crazy. Maybe I am. Um, but uh, no, I think in a live recording, you get something different that you just miss in a studio, no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Yeah, there's a risk, but... Uh, it's more you, exciting and oh, yeah. maybe leads to a better recording, you'd hope, at the end of it. What's the worst that can happen, eh? Well, what, what is the worst thing that's happened at a concert, out of curiosity? Um, the worst thing that's ever happened... I think I've, I've broken a reed during a, during a concert. Um, 
you try and minimise the chance of things going wrong. Uh, actually, it was in a Mozart uh, in Italy, I believe, Streza, and um, it was all going very well. And in the first movement, there's one particular part where everything stops after a small cadenza. And the first time, I believe, the the um, clarinet starts, and the second time in, later on, the, the orchestra starts, or it could be the other way around. And so I finish the, the cadenza, and I'm looking at the conductor, waiting for him to bring the orchestra in. Nothing. He's right. looking at me. And I'm looking at him, and he obviously thinks, you know, it's my turn to start, and he's waiting for me to start, so there's a bar in. Yeah. And I know it's the orchestra's time. Yeah. And very quickly through your mind, you go, well, what, you know, what am I going to do? Mm. And I believe it was going out on the radio as well, so oh, I see, he so couldn't say, you know, carry on. And finally he realised, he said, sorry, you know, looked over and said, sorry, and carried on. Mm. And throughout the rest of the concerto, once in a while, he'd lean over and say to me, I'm really sorry about that, whilst <laughs> we were still playing. Um and it could very easily get to you. You could be like, oh, was I wrong? Was he wrong? You know, what's going on? But mm. you, if something goes wrong in a performance, you just have to forget about it. It's done. Sure. You can't change it and just carry on. But uh, I, I, don't, I didn't worry about it. It was more fun than anything else. And it seemed like forever, but it was only 10, 15 seconds or something. Sure, it could uh, pass off as a dramatic pause. Oh, exactly. That's, that's what we told everyone. You're probably most well known for your classical recordings, but you've also got a number of jazz projects on the go as well. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, the jazz um, kind of all happened by chance. Um, I think it was just after I had a, a chat with Steve, uh, Steve Long of Signum Records and Floating Earth, and um, we we kind of talked about the idea of doing something around Benny Goodman or you know his classical side of things, and it really got me thinking about that whole world because. Yeah, I'd always listened to jazz as a kid, and even now I listen to a lot of jazz, but never really considered getting into it. So on a whim, I thought, well, okay, I want to start my own band. And um, oh, it was a lot more difficult than than that. I wish it wasn't, but... Uh, I'm sure. Um, yeah, put together a band of some of the best um, and very experienced uh, guys in London. Um, and it's still a really steep learning curve. I still... There's still so much to learn, um, but... I've learned so much from those guys, you know, touring and playing and just listening to what they do and hanging around and seeing how, how it all works. It's been a real eye-opener to, to music in general. And I always think as musicians, we shouldn't be limited to playing classical or playing jazz or even categorising things as being classical or jazz. You know, it's good music and that's, that's what I want to play. That's the main thing. Do you think there are any big differences between recording classical music and recording jazz, for example? Well, jazz to me, I've always... Well, since we did the, the recording, we did it in the studio and then we've done more and more live recordings. Well, to, to me now, we sound different to our recording, but um, that's only natural. As time goes on, you, you kind of gel, if you like to coin, sure. you know, coin a phrase. Um, and so I think we'd like to make another recording, but this time definitely live. Um, right. A live album, jazz, is sometimes nice to have the involvement of the audience, um, whereas in classical, you try and keep everything very quiet. And Yeah. You can let your hair down a little bit in jazz, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So I hope there's more to come in the future on the jazz side. Oh,
So that was a clip from Julian Bliss's Benny Goodman album. Julian, you started your career quite young, didn't you? Yeah, I started playing the clarinet um, 21 years ago. I started when I was four. Um, and uh, it was always because I enjoyed it and I wanted to do it. I wanted to play music. And it's always been what I've known and what I've loved. Um, to me, to get the opportunity to travel around the world and play um, in some fantastic venues, see the world, and there's always something different happening is well, it's almost a dream come true. Yeah. Um, but I really don't know what else I would be doing. I'd like to think if I wasn't playing the clarinet, I would still be involved in music in, in some uh, some form. But uh, you don't know. Maybe a racing driver or something. <laughs> Do you find it annoying at all that many people think you were a winner of the BBC Young Musician of the Year? Yeah, I get told that a lot. They say, oh, congratulations. For what? For, for what? <laughs> but uh, I suppose it's nice to be given an accolade that I, I never took part in. But um, It's a lot less work. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um no, it's it's funny how a lot of people assume that. I did do a couple of rounds um, I, um, and then decided that I wanted to go a slightly different direction, mm. um, build it up slowly um, over time rather than, you know, sometimes with competitions you suddenly uh, are in the public eye. Yeah. And to me, it was always, this career was something I wanted to last forever. So you'd rather get it right um, and work on it. Yeah, yeah, take take my time, um, pace myself, and that's definitely what my my managers back then really wanted me to do. I was always pushing to do more and more, and they were saying, "No, you got to, you got to um, take it easy, almost. Mm. You got to pace yourself." But no, you know, young musician is a fantastic competition and fantastic vehicle for young musicians to get out there and play. Yeah, I suppose nice to be told I won it, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> Finally, just it'd be good to talk about. You've got a new disc coming out with Signum later this year with. Uh, Ailish Tynan and Chris Glynn. Can you tell us a little bit about the repertoire on that disc? So, well, how the whole project came about is that I met Ailish. Um, we were doing the opening concert for The Proms one year, and it's live on BBC Radio 3, and we were asked to play Shepherd on the Rock. And um, first time I ever met Ailish, first time I ever worked with her. And she's just so easy to work with. And hilarious, such a nice person, easy to get along with um, on every single level. And has the most amazing singing voice. And what I always like when I work with her is how we seem to match our sounds. Um, and they change slightly when we play, or, or you know, she sings solo pieces, as you'll hear on the album. But when we when we all play together, it all kind of merges into one, which is mm. which is nice. I always like working with musicians that listen and adapt, and you create something new yeah. rather than it being three separate musicians this is my part, this is what I'm going to play and kind of forget about everyone else. Yeah. Um, that's not what chain music's about. Talking to you, I do get a sense that you enjoy that collaborative process with everyone you work with, be it the, the Septet or with it, Ailish and Chris. Oh, it's, it's what it's all about. And even on the concerto um, disc, talking to the members of the orchestra and um, it's music as a social social thing. So if you're going in there single-mindedly, this is what I, this is my part, this is what I'm going to play, well, there's, you're missing the point to me. Mm. Um, everyone's supposed to play together um, it's, and you can create something quite special if everyone listens and everyone pays attention and, and reacts um, and is very active as well. Um, the repertoire we picked for this disc is, is slightly different. Um, I don't like doing what everyone else has done and, you know, when you think of clarinets, uh, soprano and piano, the, the first piece that always comes to mind is the Schubert Shepherd on the Rock, which we had to include. Um, there are a lot of other pieces on the album that uh, 
actually have never been done in this iteration before, as far as I'm aware. Um, we found we made a new arrangement of Strauss Outporn and uh, of Morgan. There's actually also the um, Chopin introduction and polonaise, uh, normally for cello and piano. I've done my own uh, clarinet arrangement. I'm still changing it to this to this day, but um, yeah, it's it's a really nice, um, accessible, easy listening disc, and um, I think now we're gonna hear the end of. Um, the Schubert Shepherd on the Rock, which I believe is springtime and uh, everyone's happy. We are indeed. Julian, thanks very much for joining us. Anytime. Thank you for downloading the Signum Records podcast. And it's competition time. Uh, to be in with a chance of winning my latest CD, uh, all you have to do is name one of the pieces that I played uh, at Classic FM Live uh, towards the end of last year. Email your answer to podcast at signumrecords.com. For more information on Signum Records releases, go to signumrecords.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Spotify or follow us on Twitter at Signum Records. Signum Records.